because the great quarterbacks, and you and I never use the word great loosely, the Tom Brady's of the world, the Drew Breeses of the world, those guys often win the down before the ball is snapped. Hey, Andy Benoit here, my friend Greg Cosell. Behind the screen podcast, hit that subscribe button, turn on notifications, get to hear us every week. Greg, how's it going? Andy, it's going great. Another week of intense tape study, but that's what we do, right? That's what we do. I'm jealous of you. It sounds like you get more of yours done early in the week, and I get I, I probably get 60% of mine done late in the week, which means I get to spend all week feeling behind. Well, I'm, a, you know... Early in the week, I kind of have to get a lot done because of my matchup show. But I keep watching all throughout the week and, you know, even come in Saturday morning and Sunday mornings, you know, to catch up. Because, as you know, you can't get through every game and you try to get through as much as you possibly can. Yeah, you do. You know, one thing I've done this year, I'm watching it by down and distance situations, first and second down and then third down separately. And I found that that's made it a little bit more. You get better rhythm that way, I've found. You might. Give up lower the game a little. Yeah. I'm going to think about that. Yeah. So well, so what do we got? I know you and I both watched Minnesota and Philadelphia. We talked a little bit about them last week, but it's, it's more what happened on one side of the ball in that game and what it means moving forward. Um, did you see those five across looks that the uh, Vikings presented all game long? No. Well, here, we can talk through this because I thought that, this was one of the most fascinating games that I can remember watching just in terms of so glaringly seeing the tactics in front of you, you know, and, and the change as the game progressed. Cause as you know, I mean, you work for a team, so you might be more aware of, of more subtle adjustments, you know, contrary to what people think there are not major adjustments, let's say made at halftime or, you know, it's not as if a team scraps their whole game plan and comes out with a brand new game plan. You know, we know that. Yes. Know? So, you know, I, I started with the idea, and I knew this would be the case going in, that the Eagles would kind of have to feel their way a little bit offensively because of who Brian Flores is and what his background is. And he's done so many different things defensively throughout the course of his career, very dependent on his personnel, on the opponent. You know, and it's only week two of a season, a new season for him, a new defense, that he's probably still figuring out certain things about his own defense. So if you're Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson and the Eagles, you're you're going into this game. You know what you want to get done. You know what your staples are. You know the things you like to do that you feel good about. But you're not really sure exactly what you're going to get from Brian Flores until the game kind of plays out a little bit. Wouldn't you agree with that? Absolutely would agree with that. He comes from the New England tree, has the man-to-man background, but he has not called defenses as much as – as you would guess, he didn't call it Miami. Not that he probably wasn't overseeing everything, right, right. but you know, to play calling tendencies aren't there. Minnesota was such a zone-oriented defense, totally different personnel than what they normally play with in the in the New England scheme. So Flores, to me, was the biggest mystery coming into the season. And it, you know, the fact it's a Thursday game, I'm sure they game plan for this one, Philadelphia, off season, and probably treated oh, it almost right. like a Week One game for them. Correct. I, I, yeah, they started. I guarantee that they they did the first two games of the season for sure all throughout the summer. This was not something they started three days before the Thursday night game. But, you know, getting back to the general point, you just don't know what you're going to get. And then you think about his personnel as, as well. 
He's got, you know, corners that, you know, he's trying to figure out how they can play. Evans is a second-year player, was not a high draft choice from Missouri. You're, you know, you're trying to figure out, hey, can I play man with him? Can I not play man with him? I'm not sure about that. You know, uh, their, their dime corner is a rookie, Makai Blackman from USC, third-round pick. I, I particularly liked his tape, but he's a rookie. You don't know what you're going to get with him. Um, yeah. You know, so the Eagles – couldn't go into this game with certainty of, hey, we know we're going to get this on first and second down. We know we're going to get this on third down. And when I say, you know, I'm talking high percentage probability and tendency. Because as you and I know, nothing's 100% all the time. But I don't think there was a strong sense of tendency with a Brian Flores defense going into that game for the Eagles. So they kind of had yeah. to figure it out as the game was going on. And, you know, as you know, teams have – four or five guys up in the booth charting specific things, you know, charting, hey, how do they react if we put this guy in motion? How do they react if we go with a two tight end set and both tight ends are aligned to one side? How do they react if it's two tight ends, but it's a balance for me? You know, you know all this. Everything is charted. And so the yeah, Eagles absolutely. To, yeah. yeah, the Eagles had yeah. to figure this out. They did. And I know dealing with that kind of situation where you don't know what you're getting from the other team, I know the Rams against Atlanta, for example, Arthur Smith changed the whole offense in his second year with Atlanta. So there was all this game planning done. We felt very good about what we had. And then we watched him week one and it's like, like it was almost worthless what we'd done going <laughs> right, in. Right, right. So that's a great feeling waking up and seeing like seeing that. But, uh, you know, what you do is you kind of just scale back the game plan a little bit and go with what you do best. And, and, and kind of your broader concepts. That's a little easier to do. In fact, that's a lot easier to do off or def- defensively than it is offensively, though. Yeah, and, and then the game starts, okay? You know, and you have a certain plan going in. Obviously, everybody has a plan. You know, a lot of these teams, you know, it used to be just the West Coast offense, whatever that means. But pretty much everybody <laughs> kind of scripts plays, you know, because they've studied all week. And they studied for this game, you know, prior to the week. So, they go into the game, and here the Vikings come out aggressively with multiple front looks at a big nickel and dime, big nickel meaning three safeties and two corners, and dime, six defensive backs, and they had some form of a blitz on the Eagles' first six offensive plays. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. what happens as they're starting the game. Mm-hmm. So now the Eagles have this in their bank, and they're thinking, okay, this might be the nature of this game. You know, it, it, it may be a blitz game. You know, they blitz on the first six plays. So now, you know, Sirianni and Brian Johnson, they have to start thinking, I'm sure, all right, how are we going to handle that? We're getting a lot of pressure front looks, a lot of that double mug with two in the A-gaps, you know, and and how do we deal with that? Which is one thing Minnesota did show a lot in week one, at least. So that they rarely ever blitzed from it. That's the thing. Correct. And that's right. interesting because then as an offense, so you still have to game plan as if they will. You can't you can't just line up and hope no. that they're not bringing all six and double A gap. So, yeah, well, that's so why, go ahead. Six plays no, and in. That's why when teams do that, and just so people are clear exactly what I'm saying, you have your four defensive linemen, and then you have two other defenders in the A gap, meaning they're each on one side of the offensive center. That's what we call double mug. You know, they're both in the A gaps. And it was predominantly Metellus, the big nickel safety, or Pace, one of the linebackers, depending on the personnel, and Jordan Hicks, the other linebacker. And as we said, they did that a ton the week prior against Tampa Bay, but I think only one time did they even 
bring one of those guys out of being in a double mug look, I think, 13 or 14 times. So the Eagles saw that, and then here they start the game with the same double mug front, which is six across, and I don't know what the Eagles are thinking, but you're 100% right, Andy. You can't say, oh, they're going to drop out and act like they, they're not going to come you know, because you can't have yeah. pressure up the middle versus your quarterback with no one blocking him. So it turns out this time they blitz those guys. And, you know, so the Eagles saw that on, on, you know, early in the game, those first six plays were one form of pressure or another. And they're probably thinking, Hey, this could be a pressure game. And as we further discuss this, it turned out to be uh, the furthest thing from the truth, but early on, that's what it looked like. Yeah. The, how multiple they were. And then on the back end, so they put the six down fronts and then what jumped out at me to me was they're playing. I don't even know what to call it. Carolina did this a few years ago. You called it five across, I think in your notes. And I just started calling it five across, but quarters, basically a quarter structure, but with a post safety as well. Right, 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 right. And so it's almost like a five man quarters. And there were snaps. There were significant snaps in that game where it was six men up front, five men on the back, Nobody in the middle of the field. No, incredible. I think so. It's it was fun film to watch just because I, I, you know, you don't want to say you've never seen it again. Carolina did this a few years ago. They did it in the first half of the season when Phil Snow was calling the defense, and I think they had some mixed results with it overall. But it was kind of a fun defense to watch. They played fast. You can get to so many different looks out of that structure. Uh, you leave yourself vulnerable though to certain things. You leave yourself vulnerable in the run game. And as the game progressed, and and also don't forget that on third and 16, Jalen Hurts made a very bad read and threw an interception. That ended the Eagles' third possession. And, you know, coming off Hurts not looking real sharp week one and then making the misread on that interception by Theo Jackson, I'm sure the Eagles felt, okay, let's kind of reassess a little bit how we want to approach this game. And then they started to see the Vikings settle into my guess to what they wanted to really wanted to do. They started the game with one thing, but then they kind of said, "Okay, here's what we really want to do." And now we're we're going to to do this. Now maybe they they did it are because you, are you talking about the drop? Like start dropping extra bodies into coverage? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, because ultimately, you know, they're they're playing Evans at one corner. Um, uh, they they had Blackman as the um, yeah, and then Byron Murphy. There and Byron Murphy in in their base was the other corner. But when they went, you know, to um, to uh, you know, uh, Blackman was the dime corner. Murphy Murphy was the outside corner because they played big nickel, so they didn't really play a a conventional nickel with three corners. So so you know, the once the Vikings started to show, which began maybe fourth possession or so, give or take that, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're basically going to play just what you said with some form of six people in the general box area, however they chose to line them up, and literally five across on the back end. And all, what, a good, Andy, 10, 12, 14 yards from the line of scrimmage? Yeah, it was quarters depth. It was was quarters coverage with a fifth guy, basically. Yeah, yeah. the, the brilliance of it, just, I mean, the, every scheme's brilliant and has its flaws and all that. But what, what I liked about it is you can access almost any coverage from that. That middle guy, that post safety right. can take five steps back, and now he's truly a post safety. 
He can take five steps forward, and now he's the middle linebacker in a cover two, which is what they did most of the night. Those corners can can play cover four. They can drop down and play uh, play quarters. You can bring multiple guys down and play cover three. I mean, you can do what almost whatever you want. You're not really playing man-to-man, I guess, but you can do a lot of what you want, and you can go zero anytime. Right. Bring, but bring everybody. Have those guys they they back. do it. The, the strange thing was is they didn't do a ton ahead of it, you know. That yeah, they, was strange. You, mean like you, you felt they stayed in – they just played the cover two a lot? Yeah, they kind of stayed with those guys predominantly on the back end. I mean, it, they reacted to the run, but they were reactive to the run. In other words, they weren't moving people, you know, just before the snap or at the snap. They were reacting to the play. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised how many plays wound up being. So they show the six five, the six zero five structure. Six guys up front, nobody right. at the second level, five guys back. And how many of the snaps wound up being that, where they stayed in those looks? Yeah. And the beauty of that is, if it, all right, if you're a, a a run blocker, you block the man in front of you, and that's all you have to worry about. And there's nobody threatening you from the second level, so you you don't you know. You, it's easy to maintain your blocks. You're not worrying about getting off blocks, releasing double no, teams, all no that combo. stuff. There's no combo climb to the second level. Um, you can basically run block them almost, I want to say, however you want, because I'm sure someone smarter than me with defensive background and coaching would say, oh, I could do this and that. But you can almost do whatever you want schematically in the run game if they're going to play that way. Well, so the point being that beginning, like I said, maybe fourth possession or right around there, fifth possession or when it became evident – what the Vikings were doing. It might even have been a possession later. You know, Brian Johnson pretty much, I'm sure, scrapped what the plan was going in, okay? Which, you know, we we don't know exactly how it would have played out exactly, but he clearly said, you know what? This is what they're showing us. This is what they're playing. So you know how we're going to attack this? We're going to run inside zone, and we're going to get angles in the run game with our big offensive line, and, you know, they just started doing that, and they had great, great success doing it. Swift ended up with 28 carries. On not one of the 28 did they pull alignment. Everyone was essentially a zone concept, and almost everyone was inside zone. And which which makes sense because you want to you pull alignment to make second-level defenders have to move with them is a, the, the basis of a lot of it. Right, and there's no second-level defenders. No, right. And, and – they had that 16-play touchdown drive in the second quarter, which predominantly came out of 11 personnel. The Vikings were playing, uh, you know, essentially 3-3-5 nickel, and every run on the possession was zone. Um, you know, as the drive progressed, there were some snaps um, you know, where the Vikings did go back to, um, you know, a four-man D-line front at times with double mug yeah. to get more bodies. But still – they were essentially playing with deep players, you know, and there were 13 called runs, seven by Swift on that 16-play touchdown drive. The longest run was eight yards, and that was by Hertz, a design run. And that's when the Eagles kind of, I think, realized, you know what, if they're going to keep playing this, we're just going to keep running inside zone. And it kind of stayed that way. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the, the stats now. So on the 45 design runs that Philadelphia had, 26 of them were deemed successful, which I believe means a gain of certainly five yards or more, might be six yards or more, but not Maybe just staying on. More, but I'm not sure, yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's, it's pro football focus's definition of it. I think they do a great job with that 
that formula. I'll, I'll yeah. find it. But the point is, they, the running numbers were enormous, and it wasn't like someone broke off a 75-yard run a couple of times. No, and, and, and you and I both know there's no way the Eagles went into that game as they prepared to play with the idea that we're giving the ball to, to Swift 28 times. That was not the game plan going in. That was an adjustment made during the game. And I give Brian Johnson a ton of credit for seeing what he was getting and then playing to what they were getting. Because, yeah. you know, and, you know, when I watched the game on TV, and I, and to be honest, I didn't watch all of it because these games are a little late for an old guy like me, Andy. But, um, uh, you know, I've kind of felt, gee, Hertz isn't playing great. But that when I watched the game on tape, I kind of thought, obviously, the pick was bad. But I thought that, you know, he kind of played with patience. Um, and and the, the offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson, called the game based on what the Viking, Vikings defense was showing him. And Hertz kind of played within that structure of how they wanted to play. Yeah, and the, so the passing numbers weren't huge because they didn't have a lot of pass attempts. And his right. yards per attempt were actually, I think, 8.4 in the game, which that's near the league. Last year, the league leader was Tua at 8.9. So, I mean, they were an efficient passing game. Some of that's inflated, obviously. They had the blown coverage. I got the big the big gain. And then that, the play where Smith got matched up on the safety and, and won. Yeah. Yep. But I thought I, – I was with you. I thought it was a really great display of coaching in the flow of the moment. On a short week against a defense yep. you probably weren't comfortable going into against anyway. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, not to take anything away from him at all, because I thought DeAndre Swift looked – Exceptional. They looked really good, really uh, uh, good running. Part of me thought if, if Penny were getting those carries, and Penny would have been the guy that had the yards. I mean, I'm not saying that that you know what Swift did was you know no one else could have done. He did run with patience and vision. He certainly found gaps at the first level of the defense, and once he found those gaps, there was no one at the second level, as we have discussed. Um, so yeah, is he the only guy that could have done that? Obviously not. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just thought that it was really a great job by the Eagles staff because, look, you work for a team, and what is it that coaches bother get bothered by the most when there's uncertainty in what they think they're going to get? Because what, yeah. what a lot of fans need to understand, and you know this, is most coaches know what they're going to get from the opponent. You know, you know, people always think, oh, you know, you, you run this stuff, you know, you, you, let's run gimmicks, let's do that. The game's not one like that. Most people know, based on film study and knowing coaches in the league that have been doing it for a long time, what you're going to get. And again, is it 100% all the time? No. But it's a very high tendency, high probability that you know what you're going to get in given down and distance situations based on your personnel versus their personnel. Yeah, and uh, by the way, it's a lot more similar from one team to the next than you would realize. Correct. A lot of it's situational driven. Certain formations mean certain things, and it's true with almost every team. So, yeah, there's definitely some validity to that. Do you do you think this? So, the five across approach that they did, New England did it as well against Miami on the first series of the game. And then they got away from it. I don't know if that was because Miami mounted a little bit of a sustained drive. They got down in the red zone, finished with a field goal. I don't know if that was it. Right. But we saw from New England to a certain degree. And then, you know, we saw it from Carolina a few years ago. Is it something? I don't think it's. we're going to see it on first and second down. I told you I start separating yeah. down and distance on film yeah. watching. I actually checked to see if I was watching the third down film at one point because I couldn't believe the way Minnesota kept lining up. 
I don't think we'll see it on first or second down with any kind of normalcy around the league. But I mean, that five yeah. across look, what's what's the downside of playing it on third and eight plus? Well, I was going to say, normally you see it, and it's called sticks coverage, as you know. Normally you see it on third down where five across line up at the sticks. You know, the first down marker for people who don't know yeah. what I mean by sticks coverage. Um and they line up at the sticks. I've seen Jim Schwartz do that numerous times when he was with Philly. I'm sure he'll do it with Cleveland. You know, that's that is a more common coverage on third and long. You normally don't do it on third and three, obviously, but you know, if it's third and nine, third and twelve, that that coverage, as I said, called sticks coverage, and you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. That that is a, at least a little more common, but you rarely see that on first and ten, second and five. You know, that's not something you see. Well, so, but all right. So, but to me, sticks coverage, though, it's still, I don't think I've watched film and say, hey, they played sticks on 80% of the third and long Correct. scenarios. It's, it's very situational driven. You know, we've talked about the, the Vic Fangio scheme, the quarters looks, how you can get to so many coverages out of it. Now, about a half of the league plays quarters looks, it seems like. Uh, why why not make it that five across look? It's the same principle. You're just adding one more guy to move. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because now you get into the whole concept of the run game versus the pass game and how defensive coordinators want to think. And again, right. we're not and I'm, I'm talking I'm talking third and long here, though. Oh, 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 you could see it more. I don't I, you know, again, that becomes a philosophy. I mean, that's a specific kind of coverage that doesn't necessarily fall into the normal coverage concepts, you know, of, of yeah. whether it's, you know, uh, split safety and, and everything that generates from that, whether it's single high and everything generates from that. You know, those are the the coverages that are pretty much what, what coverages are. So the five across doesn't fall into any one of those categories. So it's which, which is a bigger deal than you might guess for some teams as well, because so many quarterback reads pre-snap, post-snap are predicated on is it middle field open, meaning split safeties, or is it middle field closed, meaning there's a safety in the post when it's both Remember, you know, Philadelphia with when Schwartz was there, he's doing that with Rodney McLeod. They'd start in single high, bring McLeod down to the middle linebacker and play cover two out of it. I'm sure you remember that, Greg. Yeah. You remember that? And, and it's funny you mentioned that because, and I, and I actually had this quick conversation one day at the Eagles when he was there with Jim Schwartz, because that coverage had elements of both like cover two invert and cover three invert. And I kind of right. asked him about it. And, you know, Jim Schwartz is not necessarily a guy who's going to give you, you know, the whole story, but he kind of just said to me, well, it's a little of both. So, you know, it's, you know, and he'll do that in Cleveland too, you know, where it's, it, it kind it, of it, looks like it's, you're, you're a little uncertain whether it comes from the cover three family or the cover two family. And, and that's a, complicated little of both because those are opposites in a yeah. lot of designs offensively and reads it's those are it's not like it's just those are you know it's middle field open middle field closed and you could see it anyway and and nobody could be right or wrong i don't know what the response would be from an or just from organizing your game plan standpoint you'd almost have to have a special chapter for it in your offensive playbook well, right because when Jim Schwartz was in Philly, you know, we, we I used to sit and watch the, the tape and, and I would try to figure out and talk to people in our matchup room, you know, and say, what do you think this is? And if we're, you know, and again, I'm sure there's indicators to 
to some degree, because there always are, that we're not privy to because we're not studying it in the detail that coaches are and then give that information to their quarterbacks. But as you well know, if the quarterback on as he starts his drop has just a fraction of a second of indecision, because fractions matter in the NFL, then you might have, have achieved your purpose from a coverage perspective, because there's just not a lot of time when the quarterback takes that snap and plants his back foot. You know, yeah. Or, or even just, you know, even if it's, uh, if, hey, if middle field closed, I'm starting on the left. If it's middle field open, my reads start on the right. Even yeah. just something like that, which probably leads to the fraction of a second you're talking about. But right. it's, it's, yeah, and then you get into, wild, okay, what about motions? Do you want to, does that impact your motions and shifts, which you don't do as much on third down, but you still do it. You know, there's a lot, it's a complicated domino effect, which is why I'm surprised as we talk through it more. You know, like the other thing you kind of see around the league now, Arizona's doing it. It's a Jonathan Gannon thing. You did it in Philadelphia where your slot corner drops back. Matt Eberflus is doing this in Indy as well. Your slot corner drops back and plays uh, half field safety in some coverages or he plays quarter safety. And your safety and your slot are almost interchangeable positions. Well, and he's doing That's that kind for of a reason because his slot corner right now is Jalen Thompson, who's a safety. Yes, but he did it with Avante Maddox as well. No, he, though. Did. I, he did. Who, who, it who, makes me wonder if, if that's yeah. why Thompson is the slot corner. If they knew they're going to be doing that more, right? But but the the point is, I guess having those interchangeable parts in the middle of the field where your safeties and, and inside corner can be moving back or forth or forward. I, the more I think about, it, I don't know what's stopping defenses if it's third and eight plus from lining up five guys across like that on the majority of snaps because they can all get to the position they need to get in at the time they need to be there just and, the same. And, and as you know, and you just spoke about it, every coach as, as a general starting principle with a quarterback, we know it gets more detailed, but I remember I had this conversation, believe it or not, with Sean Payton uh, many, many, many moons ago. He was in Philly at the time. He was starting his career. Oh, wow. Uh, great staff, by the way. He was in Philly with John Gruden as an assistant, Bill Callahan as an assistant. It was under Ray Rhodes. And that's when I first met Sean Payton. And, All right. You know, I've had a few conversations with him over the years. And I asked him once, you know, how do you start teaching your quarterback? What is the general principles? You know, and he said, middle, middle open, middle closed, blitz alerts. He says, that's the general principle. And, you know, we know it, it, it gets into more detail and nuance, but – so your point is a great one because if the quarterback can't tell whether it's middle open or middle closed, and you did a good job explaining what middle open and middle closed means, if he if he's uncertain as to what that is, and then he has to figure that out on his drop, and the longer it takes him on his drop to figure it out, the less certainty he has because there are certain reads. What people need to understand is a quarterback is not reading seven guys. A quarterback on a given play is reading one, two, at really no more than that, really. That's what you ideally want. Maybe he's yeah. reading an area. If he if it's truly defined to him as zone, he might be reading an area. But if he the further that he drops back, if he can't really know what, whether it's middle open or middle closed, that makes it really hard on the quarterback. Well, and so many offenses now, especially on the long long yardage plays, the routes are predicated on it as well. So, like, take Correct. 
four verts, for example, which is as easy as it gets. Four guys run straight down the field. Well, if it's middle field open, then the inside receivers are taught you run literally straight down the field. If it's middle field closed, I mean. If it's middle field open, though, then you run and kind of bend your route a little bit because you've got to kind of angle past a defender. Well, all right, let's say the quarterback can figure out middle field closed or open when he sees five across. He's somehow got the confidence. Well, does that mean his tight end and his slot receiver are seeing it the same way as well? And if, if the quarterback has an inkling of a doubt that they are or are not, those guys are probably out of the progression already because the quarterback does not want to throw to a receiver where he's not 100% sure where that receiver is going to be when the ball arrives. That's correct. So ultimately where this conversation is going is you're asking if you could see more of that as a starting point for a defense because it could lead to just that momentary uncertainty for a quarterback as he starts his drop because the great quarterbacks and you and I never use the word great loosely you know we're not in the mode of oh there's 15 great quarterbacks you know we don't use that word loosely but but the, the, the Tom Brady's of the world the Drew Brees's of the world those guys you know I would probably say Joe Burrow is really at that level to a certain extent um and there's others Mahomes is really smart too by the way you know, I think yeah. he sees a lot before the snap of the ball. He's really smart. Um, well, and and he's when he's on the move, he sees it so well. Correct. And, but, but yeah. The point I was going to make was those guys often win the down before the ball is snapped because they see exactly what they're going to get and they know where to go with the football and the read becomes simple for them. Hey, I know what I'm going to get, so I'm just reading that guy and I'm going to just throw off him. You know, someone. And, and, go ahead. No, I, I didn't mean interrupt no, no, Someone so, so if you can somehow kind of mess with that a little bit, and like I said, it only takes a fraction, you know, the great thing about a Mahomes is then he can still make something happen, which is why, you know, one of the reasons he's so great, because, hey, if he doesn't feel like he has a clean read, he can make it happen. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously some quarterbacks – you know, the Bradys and the Breezes weren't like that, but they were so good, as obviously, before the snap that they didn't get stuck very often at all. Right. And someone told me, and I do not remember who it was, but they said the, some of the angriest moments you see, and it was true with Brady and Peyton Manning, was when someone on defense blew a coverage or misplayed a coverage because, you know, God dang it, we worked all week. You know, you're supposed to be here. I know where I'm going. They, you know, they don't they don't like the unpredictability of mistakes from the defense. I, it's funny you say that. Very quick story. A hundred years ago, I flew to Dallas to interview Roger Staubach for a documentary film I was doing for NFL Films. And, you know, this was Staubach had been retired for 15 years. This was probably early 90s, give or take. And we were talking, I think it was for a Super Bowl show I was doing at the time. And Roger Staubach very famously threw an interception to Jack Lambert in, in a Super Bowl. And, you know, obviously Jack Lambert, a Hall of Famer, Roger Staubach, a Hall of Famer. Um, and Staubach to that day, and I'm sure to this day, he said, Lambert wasn't where he was supposed to be. <laughs> you know, and, he, and he kept insisting that, you know, he, he made a mistake in the coverage. He wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> That's funny. And I'd love to hear what, what is what would Jack Lambert say doesn't say very day. much uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so good well, right, so philadelphia minnesota last week i know you you and i both watched tampa bay's defense yeah, as well yeah. this yeah. week and, and their offense um, yeah you watch their offense as well but we like their de- we like their defense quite a bit i get the sense you really like it 
Yeah, as you know, you know, pressure and Todd Bowles is known for pressure. Um, there's multiple kinds of pressures, as you know. A lot of teams pressure and they play man behind it. And they, those are man pressures. A lot of teams pressure and they play what would be categorized as zone. They end up matching at some point, but it's really a zone pressure. Bowles, to me, is a master of zone pressure. Um, and he's that all starts with understanding how another team is going to protect based on your look, you know, and then playing off that. And I think Bowles does a really, really good job with that. I mean, there's examples through the years that, uh, you know, numerous, numerous examples through the years. There was a phenomenal one week one against Minnesota when uh, Winfield had a sack force fumble. A great example of how he got Winfield clean based on his front look and how he knew it would be protected and that they couldn't block Winfield. You know, so no one made a mistake in the protection, you know, Technically, it's on the quarterback, but the where Winfield came from and how they got to it, it was just hard for Cousins to really, you know, understand that that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, they've they've always done a good job. One thing I've heard about Bulls, I heard this in his Minnesota or Minnesota, his New York Jets days, is that he loved to blitz longer-bodied guys up the middle because if the blitz does not arrive, he believes it still has compromised the quarterback's vision and yes. you know what happens from there. Um, the other thing that I think stands out when I watch Tampa Bay, they play nickel, as you know. They've got linebackers who can run, so they're not right, a dime so they keep David and, uh, and you know, yeah. White on the field, yes. Yeah, and White, by the way, is a very good – but he had the highest blitz numbers in the league last year, highest blitz productivity, talking off the ball. To me, a blitz is an off-the-ball pass rusher. I know that sending five, you know, I we agree. can discuss that. Yeah, but I, to me, it's someone who's aligned off the ball – and White led the league in off-the-ball pass rushing last season. They're really effective there. But kind of what we talked about with the five-across look, and Tampa doesn't do that specifically, but they buzz a lot of defenders in a lot of different ways. When they get to their fire zones that you're talking about, their zone pressures, there's a good chance someone on the back end is also covering a lot of area to get to where he's supposed to be, which you could argue means he's covering multiple areas at that point because quarterback's reading the field the whole time a moving defender can really be complicated for a quarterback when pressure's coming home. Yeah, and, and, and one thing I think they do that not a lot of teams do is White is so good at playing off, and I think this is by design, he's so good at playing off what happens in front of him with the D line that he, yeah. he alters his path, and I think this is all by design. They had one of those this week against the Bears. Um, it didn't turn out to be a sack. I think uh, – I think Fields got rid of the ball for an incompletion, but it was a four-man sim pressure, meaning that they rushed three defensive linemen and White was the fourth. So it was just a four-man rush. Um, but White initially showed pressure through the B gap outside of Via Vea, then altered his path inside through the A gap. And obviously with Vea, he was the one technique uh, lining up between the center and the guard. So he attacked the outside part of the A gap and he occupied – both the guard and the center, and they're, they're blocking, you know, the, the center thinks that White is going outside to the where his guard is, and he probably loses sight of him, and then all of a sudden, White changes his path and goes through the A-gap, and the center is surprised, and he lays a hit, a big hit on fields, and it was an incompletion, but I think White's really, really good at that. 
Yeah, and I think they're good at it in the run game as well. And I, those yeah. are probably a lot more slant and scrape. You know, one def- yeah. defender slants over a gap, linebacker runs behind him. David has speed still. David's been at it a long time. He came in the league in 2012, I'm seeing here, second yeah, round I was pick. Say probably a 10, 11-year player. Yeah, and I think he still moves really well. So do I, and they still use him. You know, when they go two-man coverage, he, he covers tight ends. Yeah. Yeah, great, great point. And then uh, pass rushing-wise, the more I watch Joe try on, the more encouraged I am by him. Like, he's got that lanky, bendable explosiveness. Yep. Kind of Jalen Phillips has it as well, kind of similar styles a little he bit. Came out, he came out the same draft as Gregory Rousseau. Uh, I believe, and I like to try on more. Try on set out the COVID year, which left him in the minds of many, you know, as kind of an unknown player. But I had watched his tape from the year before, which I guess would have been 2019. And I really liked his tape at the University of Washington. And he had a sack this week, I believe, where you could really see the bend and the flexibility. He's long, he's athletic, but he's not slight. Um, and I think his, you know, that he can become better and better. But I agree with you. He's, he's, becoming a fun guy to watch so there's one more guy I'm, a, I'm kind of a Jamel Dean guy a little bit as well I think he's gotten better and more he was a little stiff early on in his yeah. career bigger high cut body I think he really plays his strengths now and he's not a stiff guy I was that in mind that they've got lanky long strong Jamel Dean I was really surprised that, and I, I guess I don't know what went into it but Sean Murphy bunting basically just got to walk out the door. I don't know. Did you see? I think you said you told me you saw the Tennessee uh, Chargers film. Yeah, Murphy bunting was dominant in that game. Really good. And and by the way, I he's an he's a smaller school guy. Did not go to a power five school. Um, I really liked him coming out. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. He's going to play outside in Tennessee. and I think he this week he was really, really good. I agree. And I think he's a really solid NFL corner on the outside. What would you guess? I know you're not a big contract guy. What would you guess he's getting paid this season? What's his cap hit, his base salary? Oh, I don't know. Stuff? He, he didn't did he was he a free agent or a trade? He he was a free agent. Um yeah. I mean, I would bet he's not getting big, big numbers like the so called top corners. Um but you know, to me, he's he's a quality corner. You know, healthy. He's had injury problems, and that might have impacted how teams yeah. view him. But you can start him on the outside, and you're you're fine if he can stay healthy. You're fine. Yeah, he's getting three point five million to play left corner for Tennessee so far, wow. and play it at an incredibly through two. You know, early sample size, but playing it at a very high level. And in Tennessee, you know, you get injuries there. Uh, if you need him to slide inside, he can, they got some position flexibility. I know we're not talking right. Titans here, but I think that's I was they, just, the Titans, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Titans. Uh, yeah, obviously it came about organically talking about J- Jamal Dean and then Murphy Bunting, but the Titans are a fascinating defense to watch as well. They're a, they're a very interesting, Sean Bowen does a really nice job with some of his pressure looks and some of his disguise and late movement. He caught Justin Herbert a couple of times in that game. Um, and, you know, I, I think that yeah, you know, the, that's, the first third really, down of the game, the, the, the Nico Autry the first third down of the game was textbook. Uh, I mean, I can't wait to do that as a film piece in the matchup show. It was textbook. 
Yeah, they showed pressure, dropped the cover too. It was, yeah, it was awesome. And, and and Herbert wanted to hit Allen down the boundary seam, and they took it away when they just, with the late movement to cover two. And then Autry, who's a really good football player, by the way, he beat the right guard for for a sack. Yeah, someone told me who'd been close to the Titans that Autry's their most important player up front. He might be. And that's kind of that's that's I mean, in a certain way. I don't think that person was saying he's better than Jeffrey Simmons. I don't right. think that's what the, the guy right. was saying. But just for everything that he does and how it impacts the guys around him and what it means for them, Autry's about as valuable as they come. Well, Autry plays on the outside in their base in their nickel, and then moves inside with Simmons when they go dime. And yeah, I mean they're front in dime, and they play dime a good amount. Their front in dime has Simmons and Autry inside and Key and Landry outside. That is a pretty good pass rush group. And I, I think Key's a perfect fit for them because one thing Tennessee does so well is when they stunt, they'll stunt oh. their guys across multiple gaps. It's not yes. just TE. They'll bring, they'll really loop the guys out, and it's mostly out of their dime packages. And that's something Arden Key has done. You know, Key's an interesting player because he kind of is a niche guy. He's going to work in certain schemes in certain ways, and if you understand that, he's really valuable well, for you. I think he's going to be a good fit for them. It's funny you say that because two years ago he was with the Niners, and he and he fit them as well because they do a lot of what you just said, particularly out of loaded fronts where there's three defensive linemen to one side of the offensive center. Yeah. And then he went to Jacksonville last year, and he was really good for them in kind of a similar role, and now he's with Tennessee, and – He's predominantly through two games lined up on the outside, but depending on what you want to do with your fronts, and at this point in the season, we never know what's going to happen next. It's only two games, but he can line up in, in your dime as a D tackle or a D end and be effective. Yeah, and to kind of bring it full circle, Greg, you know, Tennessee, they played more quarters than anyone last year. Uh, part of the reason why is because they want to they want to buzz and rotate as many different coverages as possible. They take incredible pride in playing a variety of coverages out of those kind of vanilla yeah. four across looks. I'm not I'm not predicting it, but you know I would I'm eager to see if they would dabble in that five across that we opened the show talking about. Um, yeah, I think you'll see some of that. You know, um, they played some five six this week. Where they had five, you know, five across, and then six, uh, they played dime, but that was all pass rush stuff. I mean, they weren't doing that on first down. Yeah, correct. And I, again, I'll be surprised if that that comes in as a first down tactic very much around yeah. the league. And again, I don't, they I don't weren't playing. Yeah, they weren't playing like the Vikings were. They just had six defensive backs on the field. Yeah. Good. Well, Greg, I'll let you go. We got to get back to work. Uh, anything else to add though before we do that? Oh, we could go on forever, but no, I love these yeah. more conceptual conversations. Obviously, we started with the Eagles, and we both felt Brian Johnson did a phenomenal job sort of understanding the flow of that game versus the Vikings. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, one thing I know we'll come back to because I'm seeing it more and more, and and I love it, is, and you're seeing it more and more too, is, is motion and how impactful that is in the pass game. And then the Niners, their motion is so impactful in the run game. So, and you know yeah. the Niners very well, obviously. So, you know, we'll have plenty to discuss as we continue. Cool. Behind the Screen Podcast, I'm Andy Benoit, Greg Cosell. Hit that subscribe button. Join us next week. Thanks for listening. 